You are listening to the teaching and preaching of Dr. Warren Wearsby. This message was recorded while he served as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, or the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. For additional resources, please visit 2ProfitU.com. That's the number two, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-U.com. And now, Dr. Warren Wearsby. We open the Word of God to John chapter 19 and beginning our reading in verse 18. When they crucified him and two others with him, on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now to verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and immediately there came out blood and water. And he that saw it bore witness, and his witness is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierce. And thus they treated the king who cried, It is finished. At the age of 33, most people are saying, It is getting started. But our Lord Jesus said, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. It was not the defeated moan of a man who had failed. He had held his head high during those hours on the cross. And now, for the first time, he was to bow his head. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now, in the original, in the original word that Jesus used when he was on the cross, it was one word. 
tetelestai. When our Lord Jesus spoke from the cross and when the Holy Spirit through John recorded in the Gospel of John, the word that was written is the Greek word tetelestai. It is finished. It stands finished. It always will be finished. You and I have to confess that there are many things we've never finished. And we also have to confess that some of the things we have finished didn't last very long. And yet here is the Lord Jesus Christ in the most difficult situation possible, dying in weakness on the cross. And he's able to cry out the cry of a victor, Tetelestai. It is finished, it stands finished, and it always will be finished. Now this word is important to us because Jesus finished something on the cross that you and I had better know about. I suppose the things that are finished in Congress and I suppose the things that are finished in the United Nations ultimately have to touch our lives in some way. But oh my friend, what Jesus finished on the cross touches every life. And therefore, we'd better understand this word. My Lord cries out this shout of victory, Tetelestai, it is finished. And if you and I are going to understand it and appropriate, appropriate it, I think we need to lay hold of three very important facts about this word. Fact number one, it was a familiar word. Now you smile at that because the word tetelestai is not too familiar to us today because we don't speak the Greek language. You'll probably never see it on a menu, but you'll find it in the Bible. In fact, it's used back in verse 28 of the Gospel of John, chapter 19, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, same word. This word is not a familiar word to us, but it was a familiar word in our Lord's day. And you would hear it in the marketplace, you would hear it in the homes, you would hear it in the various places of the city, Tetelestai. Several different people used that word. The slaves used it. A master would call one of his slaves and say, do this, do that. And the slave would go off and do it. You'll remember there were six million slaves in the Roman Empire. And many of these slaves were highly educated highly trained people. And after a few hours, the slave would come back to his master and he would simply say, Tetelestai, which means I have finished the work that you gave me to do. The Lord Jesus Christ came as a servant. They wanted him to come as a king. They wanted him to come as a great conqueror. They wanted him to come and deliver them from the physical problems of Roman rule. But that's not why he came. You can set a man free politically and never touch him spiritually. You can elevate a man materially and never raise him spiritually. Our Lord Jesus came to get to the heart of the problem. And the heart of the problem is sin. And he came as a servant. And he humbled himself. 
I don't think anyone here wants a demotion. If you went to work tomorrow morning and you found a slip in your place at the clock that said, please see the manager, and you went to see the manager, and he said to you, I have good news for you, we're demoting you. You'd say, good news? That's no good news. I've been here for 10, 15, 20 years. I've worked my way up in this organization. You're demoting me. And yet here is Almighty God, the sovereign, who becomes the servant. Here is the master of all who becomes the slave of all. And he became obedient as a servant, obedient unto death. And not just any kind of a death, even the death of the cross. And when those Philippian Christians read that in Paul's letter, they must have looked at each other. Because no citizen of a Roman city could be crucified. It was the lowest, meanest kind of death. And yet Jesus, as the servant who had come to be the slave of God, the servant of God, lifts up his head and he says to his father, to Telestai, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. In fact, he said that in his prayer in John chapter 17. Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have glorified thee on the earth. The slaves used that word. It was a familiar word because the priests used it. If you were going through the temple area any day when the sacrifices were being offered, like at Passover, you would have heard the word. Here comes a worshiper. Here comes a man with his lamb or his goat or whatever the sacrifice might be. And the first task the priest had to perform was to examine the sacrifice. No priest would ever offer on the altar a sacrifice that was not perfect. And the priest would look at the eyes, and he would check the ears, he would look at the body, he would make sure the animal was not sick. And having examined the animal, he would say, to Telestai. You know what that means? It's perfect. It's complete. It's faultless. And so as our Lord hangs there as the Lamb of God, as he hangs on the cross as God's sacrifice for sins, he's able to say, as both the priest and the sacrifice, to Telestai, it is perfect, it is complete, it is faultless. So faultless was the sacrifice that his enemies had to hire liars to testify against him. They examined one witness after another, and they could find no fault in him. Did you not ever hear him speak a word that was wrong? Never. No man ever spoke like this. Did you never see him do a deed that was contrary to the law? No. No, we watched him. We, we saw nothing. Even the demons had to confess that he was the Son of God. When he began his ministry and came down to the Jordan River, he was approved by God the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was approved by God the Holy Spirit who came down like a dove and lighted upon him. 
He was approved by the prophet John the Baptist who said, I have need to be baptized of thee. And as he walked and talked and worked and lived, they watched him and they listened and they spied upon him. And during that last week prior to Passover, that week when the lambs were always examined, they examined him. The men came up and said, now we know you're a teacher and you don't listen to what people have to say. You don't, you're not swayed one way or another. We want to ask you a question. And they tried to trap him. And as he walked through that week when the lambs were being examined, they examined God's lamb and they went away and said, we find no fault in him. Even Pilate said that. To tell us, I, I offer a faultless, complete sacrifice. The priests use that word. Did you know that the artists use this word? Oh, there was a great deal of art back in this day. All of us have been through the museums and we've seen the Roman art and the Greek art and the Jewish art. And did you know that when an artist had finished whatever he was preparing, be it a mosaic or a sculptor, a drawing, he would look at it and he would say, Tetelestai, it is finished. What he meant by that was every color was in place. Everything was where it ought to be. There's a pattern here. There's a picture here. And you can look at it. It's not like some of the art we see today. I recall walking to an, into an art gallery in the city of Cincinnati. And there on the wall was a frame 18 inches by 24 inches and in the frame was a matting of white and on that matting was a solid black canvas. No picture, no etching, just a solid black canvas. And it was for sale. And I looked at it and I said, that's not finished. Now perhaps I don't appreciate modern art. If that is modern art, I don't appreciate it. I always enjoy walking through the art galleries. And it's difficult to enjoy a picture that's not finished. Our greatest picture of George Washington is not finished. Ever since the creation of the world, God had been painting a picture. God had put the universe out there. God had planted trees and flowers. God had made men. God called Israel, and God had them make a tabernacle, and God did this, and God did that, and we saw parts of the picture, but nothing seemed to fit together. Even the Old Testament prophets were not sure what was going on. Some of them saw a Messiah who would suffer and die. Some of them saw a Messiah who would reign in glory, and they argued with each other and said, your denomination is wrong, we're right. None of them saw the whole picture. And Moses added to the mural, and Samuel added to the mural, David came along and added, Isaiah took his brush and he added to it. But it wasn't until Calvary where Jesus Christ dipped the brush in his own blood that the picture was finished. And the master artist who had framed the universe the master artist who had framed all of history 
by whom the ages were framed, said, to Telestai, it's finished. Now you can look at the picture and you can see what God is doing. That's why, my friend, if you take the cross out of the Bible, you don't have the whole picture. You'll never understand why God called Abraham and asked him to put his son on the altar. You'll never understand why God called Moses and told him to build a tabernacle. You'll never understand why Isaiah the prophet talked about one who was suffering, one who was rejected. To tell us, it was an artist's word. Calvary puts the whole picture together. The slaves use this word, and the priests use this word. The artists use this word. And would you believe that if you went down to the marketplace, you'd hear the merchants using this word? Have you ever been in an oriental marketplace where they're haggling and arguing over prices and values and amounts and commodities, and finally they arrive at a price, and you give him the money, and he says to Telestai, the debt is paid. If you had a mortgage with some merchant back in our Lord's day and you were able to pay off the mortgage and you brought your mortgage papers down to the firm, he would accept your money and he would write on the receipt to Telestai. The debt has been paid, it is fully paid, and it always will be paid. I can never come and claim on you again. Well, that says something to us as sinners, doesn't it? That says to me there was a time when I was in debt to God. God said, here is my standard. And I said, I can't live up to that standard. He said, you are guilty. I said, I know I'm guilty. He says, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus Christ took my spiritual bankruptcy and he substituted his spiritual solvency. My Lord took my bank book and he wrote across it righteous. He took my debt and he wrote across it to Telestai. It is finished. It has been fully paid, completely paid, finally paid, and it always will be paid and no claim can ever be made against you again. It was a familiar word. And as you and I come to the Lord's table, I hope that we'll hear that word to tell us, die. The servant did the work. He offered the perfect sacrifice. He finished the picture of Revelation and made it clear. He paid the debt. It was a familiar word, secondly, that was spoken by a faithful Savior. He shouted it. It is finished. He had faithfully finished the work that God gave him to do. He was faithful. As you read the life of our Lord Jesus given to us in the Gospels, you find that from the very beginning, from the very beginning, he was conscious of a work he had to do. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have the birth of our Lord Jesus. 
And when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering is not what you want. You've prepared me a body. I come to do your will, O God. He was born to do God's will when he was just a young man, just a lad of 12. He left his parents one day, and they found him three days later in the temple. Remember that? And they said, we've been looking for you sorrowing. And he was shocked. He said, why, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Even at the age of 12, our Lord knew he had a work to do. When he began his ministry, he went to that wedding feast. They have no wine. He said to his mother gently, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. He knew he had a job to do and an hour in which to do it. All the way through the Gospel of John, he talks like this. He says, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. They sought to take him, but they could not. His hour had not come. They sought to arrest him. They could not. His hour had come. Then finally we hear, Father, the hour has come. In the Mount of Transfiguration, our Lord talked with Moses and Elijah about his decease, his exodus that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. He had a work to accomplish. He said one day, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I am constrained until it be accomplished. His whole life was motivated by the accomplishing of one work. God the Father had finished the old creation and God the Son was now going to finish the new creation. And he did that work in spite of Satan's opposition. He did that work in spite of his nation's rejection. He did that work in spite of the apostles' own misunderstanding, his family's own misunderstanding. He just kept going, going, going. And he was able to say to Telestai, it was a familiar word spoken by a faithful Savior. May I remind you before we look at the third fact that our Lord Jesus is still faithful. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. On the cross, he faithfully finished the work. Today on the throne, he is a merciful and faithful high priest. And he's faithful to forgive if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's faithful to help us in temptation. God is faithful and will not permit you to be tempted above that you are able. He's faithful to keep us. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Are you trusting this faithful Savior? To tell us, it was a familiar word spoken by a faithful Savior about a finished work. It is finished. What was finished? Well, the types and the prophecies were finished. Now we can look back at Genesis and Exodus and Isaiah and Psalms and the light from Calvary shines on that page. And we say, we see it. We understand it. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said that the son of the woman, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That happened at the cross. Jesus Christ defeated principalities and powers and made a display of them openly. He openly put them to shame when he said it is finished. As you walk through the tabernacle, you say, what does all this mean? Here's this huge brazen altar where the blood is shed. Oh, those sacrifices, that's Jesus. Well, here's the laver where you wash. Oh, he's the one who cleanses us. Did you know that when the veil of the tabernacle was torn in two, for the first time people could see that the arrangement of the furniture was in the shape of a cross. The Old Testament types and prophecies were fulfilled. It is finished. The law was fulfilled. Now this bothers some people. They say, do you mean that God abrogated His law? No. No. God fulfilled His law. God maintained His law. In the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, God met the righteous demands of his holy law, and now that he has met them, we can be made righteous in Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ does not destroy the law. It establishes the law. God used his own law to set us free from the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says that when Jesus died on the cross, he bore the curse of the law. The law can no more curse you if you're saved. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. The law has been finished. Free from the law, O oh, happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul puts it so vividly. Paul says, Jesus Christ took that bond of the law that was against us and he nailed it to his cross. The law was finished. And so today we don't celebrate Jewish holy days and holidays. We don't bring sacrifices. We don't have a priesthood. We are a priesthood. We have no altar because the sacrifice has been finished. The work of salvation is finished. And the greatest commentary on this is in Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going to read it to you. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24. Would you listen? Imagine yourself to be this synagogue congregation that had received this letter to the Hebrews. And you're concerned. You can see the temple. You can't see the heavenly temple. You can see the earthly sacrifices. You can't see the heavenly sacrifice, Christ. You can see the earthly priests, but you can't see your high priest up in heaven. And Hebrews is saying, don't go back. Don't go back. Go ahead. Go on. 
why it's all been finished. Why go back to that which is unfinished? Go ahead, because what you have in Christ is finished. Why go back to the shadows? Go on into the light. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the age, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time, apart from sin, unto salvation. Now, the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of these things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make those who come to it perfect, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers once purged should have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore when he cometh into the world... He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Verse 10, By which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering often the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. The Old Testament sacrifice was repeated over and over again. The blood could cover sin. The blood could never cleanse sin. But this man offered one sacrifice, never again to be repeated, that takes away sin. The Old Testament sacrifices were imperfect. They were shadows. Animals can never meet the moral demands for humans. No animal ever died voluntarily, and yet Jesus, the God-man, the perfect man, came and voluntarily died for us. The Old Testament sacrifices only brought 
ceremonial purification on the outside. But Jesus Christ brings spiritual purification on the inside. He touches the conscience and you're able to say, praise God, my conscience is clear before God because Jesus has died for me. The Old Testament priest didn't sit down. There were no chairs in the tabernacle. His work was never finished. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he shouted a familiar word to tell us die, spoken by a faithful Savior about a finished work, and he sat down when he returned to heaven because his work was finished. Father, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, since salvation is a finished work, all you have to do is receive it. It's finished. It's complete. You can't add anything to it. And you dare not take anything from it. And you must not substitute anything for it. It stands alone, unique, eternal. And you either receive it and you're saved or you reject it and you're lost forever. Some years ago, a British mother was greatly concerned about her teenage son. Oh, he was a good boy, but he wasn't converted. She left on a holiday and left her ch children in the care of another. And while she was on this holiday, she got a tremendous burden for her son. So she went off to a room, and she knelt down, and she prayed that God would save her son. While she was praying, her son was back home looking for something to do, and he rummaged around in the library, and he found a pamphlet. And he knew at the beginning of the pamphlet there would be a story, and at the end there would be a story, and in between there would be preaching. And so he decided he would read the two stories and forget about the preaching. But as he was reading, he came upon a phrase that stopped him. It arrested him. The finished work of Christ. And he looked at it. The finished work of Christ. And he said out loud, if this work is finished, then all I need do is receive it. And right there while the boy was reading and the mother was praying miles away, he bowed his heart and received Christ as his Savior. His name, James Hudson Taylor, the man whose missionary enterprise opened inland China to the gospel. There once was a very eccentric evangelist whose name was Alexander Wooten. Even his name is eccentric. I think it was Alexander Wooten who used to open his umbrella and stick his umbrella in the ground, and then march around it until a crowd gathered, then pick it up and preach. <laughs> One day, uh, Mr. Wooten was busy with something, and a smart aleck young man came along and said, uh, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And Wooten didn't even look at him. He just said, it's too late. This shocked the sophisticated smart aleck, and he said, well, what must I do to be saved? Too late. 
Do you mean, sir, I can't be saved? I didn't say that. I said it's too late. All that has been done to save your soul has been done. It's finished. All you need to do is receive it. And the boy was saved. What must you do to be saved? It's been done. Not what my hands do, but what he did. It's glorious to know that it's finished. Jesus did not make the down payment and then say, keep up the installments, you'll get to heaven. Oh, we sang it before. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Is he your Savior? Are you depending on his finished? work to tell us die the shout of victory it is finished thank you father that our lord held nothing back he gave his all i pray that today there might be those who will trust christ rest upon this finished work never to be repeated Speak to hearts just now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All of Dr. Warren Wearsby's material is owned and managed by Script Text. The material contained in this podcast is copyrighted and is for personal use only, not to be duplicated or sold without prior written consent from Script Text.